Amen. This time, this time we'll have our Kingdom Kids dismissal. All young people from kindergarten to fourth grade, please come to the center aisle. And that will be. You can all stretch your hands, your right hands out towards these awesome young people, these young kingdom kids. Scripture says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he grows old, he will never depart. So, Father God, we come before you thanking you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the young minds, Heavenly Father. We thank you for these young minds that are being molded in the right way, and that is in your word, Heavenly Father. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the team, Heavenly Father. Um, we thank you for the obedience, and we thank you for how they deliver your message, Heavenly Child, Father, to the kids, Heavenly Father. We ask that you be in the midst of their, in their little minds, Heavenly Father, and that they know that Jesus is the name. Jesus is the name that brings relief, Heavenly Father. Jesus is the name that brings... Never. 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 Never be the same. I want you to rock with me today. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about working out our salvation. I want you to know that I am ready. I'm sweating. I stink. I'm ready. Are you ready? If you leave here today and you don't need deodorant, you didn't worship. Come on, walk with me. Come on, walk with me. Give God a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me share this with you. I'm so pleased to be with you. Now, Pastor Duran said, Doctor. I said, yeah, Pastor. He said, don't mention my name. So I can't talk about Pastor Duran. So you don't know who I'm talking about. But that's my pastor. I love that man. And I love his wife, and I love this church. For those of you visiting, I am Pastor Durant's pastor, and I'm so joyful to be with you. Let me share this. We're about to uh, share a message with you, but I want to um, saute your hearts with a song about you say. And I'm going to ask Mrs. Stokes to come on up. And we're going to do something together. This is called the pre-workout. <laughs> I want to emphasize things. One of the things with scripture, we tend to misinterpret it based on our cultural norms. And I'm going to share words that are going to make you uncomfortable, and then I'm going to take you in Scripture to explain that you have a different view of what the Scripture is saying to us. Are you with me? Okay, let's walk. In Philippians 2, verses 12 to 16, which was read, but I'm just going to read to 14. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have or have always obeyed, I gave you an outline, I believe I underlined that word obey. That's a no-no in our culture. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work 
without your salvation. Now, the premise, the core, the hanging importance of this text is those words right there. With fear and trembling, it's not the fear of fear of a bully, but the fear of disappointing mama, daddy, somebody who loves you. For it is God who works in you, it's God, not you, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to, boom, fulfill his good purpose. It's always about him, it's always about him. You and I are always a shadow when God is in the room. Do everything without grumbling. I'm going to keep going on. I'm going to pass. Let me get where I want it. God would take us. I would like to seek your permission to share a personal story as an illustration of the message the Holy Spirit has dispersed in my heart that I may share with you this morning. 52 years ago, talking about me, 52 years ago, I was a senior in high school. In my junior year, we were the state champs in basketball. I'm short, fast, good, and good looking. Stay with me. <laughs> All of y'all who laugh, right behind you, there are three signs that say exit. <laughs> cold, cold, cold. I'm not coming back. We were state champs, but when it came to football, everybody used us for practice. I never had a strong male figure in my life growing up, but I learned to deeply care for my football coach. I had sense because of the losing streak, he was on the verge of being fired. And when you care deeply for someone, when they fired, you feel the echoing effects of the flame of fire. It was the last game of the year with less than 30 seconds on the clock. We were down by three on the 18-yard line. The last call was us. On the run, I was handed the ball. I remember being hit and determined not to allow my knee to touch the ground. For those of you who don't play football, once your knee touches the ground, what happens? Listen, somebody told me that uh, y'all didn't mind talking during the sermon. Why are you so quiet? When the knee goes down, what happens? Oh, crying out loud. I'm not at a funeral. Talk to me. I did not know how far I went before a second person hit me. Boom! But I was not going down until I crossed that finish line. And then I felt a third person hit me on my back like he was riding a horse. I went down. My knees touched on wanted ground as tears began to flow from my face. I realized I was not going to be able to close the season with one win for my coach. Worked so hard to make a difference in the lives of a losing team. What is criti critical to not miss in this story is that 
What gave me strength to keep on moving with three men holding me? What gave me the unquenchable deep need to keep on keeping on? That's a city language y'all probably don't know. It means don't stop. I was not going to give up. I wanted to find the strength to drag all three of them to the line where the ref would holler, touchdown. My knee touched the ground. I cried. I felt rejected, abandoned, defeated. I didn't cross the line. I let my coach down. In that moment, I learned that if I was going to make a difference in life, in the world, I was going to have to have someone besides me to push me. Someone I looked up to. Someone who was strong. Someone who had direction. Someone who was going to keep me on the path because I couldn't do it on my own strength. I needed someone who would sacrifice more for me than I would for them. I had to find someone to show me what it meant to be a man if I were a woman, what it meant to be a woman. Are y'all with me? I needed someone. I looked around. I couldn't find someone. I was introduced later to a man Jesus. I said, J.C., you touched the sweet spot in my heart. So I needed someone. See, I grew up in a home where everybody cheated on each other. I don't think anybody was married faithfully. I grew up in the area where you can get beat up just for looking weak. I grew up in the area where everybody told you you were even family. I grew up like that. I needed someone to say to me, I believe. I believe. I know you finished fifth grade, but I believe you. I know you only had a first grade reading in the ninth grade, but I believe in you. I know everybody told you that you're not going to make it, but I believe in you. I know that you know what failure not only looked like, but feel like. But I believe you. Many of us know about Jesus don't know Jesus. You can say you believe. Many people said that they love you and they left you. How many people said that they love you and they would always be there? How many people said that they love you and you had an argument just because you asked somebody to wash the dishes? Say with me, everybody. Say with me. I had to find somebody because I had nobody. But God, you're right. Let's go back to football for a minute. I was in pain emotionally and physically on the bus all the way back home. I went to the doctor about my pain and found I had a slipped disc in my fifth vertebrae. The doctor said he can operate, but I had a 50-50 chair. I went back into the hood and asked an eloquent question, what's up with that doc? 
He said, I can do surgery, but you have a 50-50 chance of being paralyzed from the waist down. Or you have a 50% chance of being fully whole. I said, doctor, I appreciate your plan A and B, but is there a plan C? I taught in the hood, if you don't think, you're in trouble. Never let anybody think for you. He said, by the way, yeah, there is a plan C. Talk to me about plan C. If you work out every day of your life, you won't have to worry about it. Time out, time out, time out. Oh, oh. How old is he, 70? Oh, 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 oh. 52 years ago. The doctor was right. You know why? If I spend a month without working out, my back start hurting. A month. I'm going to die in the gym or on the pulpit. Oh, yeah. I hope it's in the pulpit. No, I just jump. <laughs> and let me say, gentlemen, I want to be clear again. Gentlemen, if I fall out, do not put your lips on me. Ladies, you are welcome. Can't be married if it's not my wife. Are y'all with me? I just want you to hear me. At that time, a depression found a comfortable spot in my mind. I, re I recovered and said, sir, I heard your plans. I'm going with C. Now, let's take this illustration and return to the word of God. In Philippians 2.12 reads, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, underline that word in your outline, please, as you always have obeyed, not only in my presence, but, how, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Come on, stay with me now. We, are, we deeply abhor. abhor Two words in the English language. We hate the word obey and the word submit. You know, as a therapist, I do premarital counseling. I remember one of my early sessions, a couple came to me and they said, Pastor, we're looking forward to you doing uh, our, 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 our wedding. We like the way you present, the way you preach. You okay? And Okay, good. Thank you. I felt, felt I was in New York. Something was coming. Right after that, the woman said, well, Pastor, you need to understand one thing. Help me understand you cannot read that voice, that verse. I am not going to obey my husband. I said, no, that's cool. Nobody tells me what to read in scripture. You need to find a new pastor. I don't play politics as a pastor. I'm going to give you all the love I can. I would even not eat dinner so you can eat. I'm okay with that. But you are not going to tell me how to be a pastor. Stay with me. They found the past, another past, and two years later, they were divorced. I want to break that down because here's the problem in our culture. We understand to obey is something we expect from dogs. And let me say this. We still live in a chauvinist culture. We expect that from women. Stay with me. Nobody, women, don't, don't mess with me. Men, don't mess with me. Just hear me. Just hear me. Just hear me. I don't take sides with men or women. I just take sides with God. That's all. But we still live in a very chauvinist society. Still this very day, women doing the same job as men make less than men. Do y'all know that? And 
sometimes I cry thinking about it. Thinking about it. Man, it's not your fault. You don't own these companies, but it still is happening. I want to clarify the words obey and submit so we have a deeper understanding when we read scripture. Let's look at definitions. I'm going to take definitions. See, all the definitions in the scripture don't always line up with the meaning in the Bible. That's the first thing you need to understand. And even when you have scholars, I want you to hear this. People think, well, you're a scholar in this area, so you must know. That's a lie. Even scholars are influenced by culture. And their writings, while me scholarly, is still influenced by culture. When men write things about anthropology, there's often a different slant than women. I prefer, nothing personal, to read women, because women tend to engage more of the personal aspect, not just the statistical information. That's general. I don't consider myself a scholar. If you do, that's fine. I don't, and I don't need it. I just need to be saved. That's all. Obey means to comply with or to follow the commands, restrictions, or instructions. We resent obeying because it feels like someone is controlling us, and none of us like being controlled or feeling controlled. Submit means to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. We hate those words because of the meaning associated with them in our culture. We use those words for slaves, women, and abusive relationships with individuals, institutions, or governments for who men want to threaten, dominate, or control in general. I'm not picking on men. I'm a man, too. It's just reality. The problem is when we are poor, and understand words from an abusive context, we read that into the Bible, and then we have reservations about the word of God because of our cultural interpretation. Are y'all with me? And every now and then I ask, and my wife says, every now and then you forget you're not in school, you're in church. So I just asked to check with you, okay? I'm not only intelligent, I'm handsome. Okay. Whoa, whoa, the exit. It's right there. Y'all not getting it today. <laughs> Y'all okay. I love you. I don't care what you said about me. Now, the problem is when we uh, reject words that the scripture doesn't mean what we hear. So let's go back into our scripture and read from a godly perspective and look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. As you do to who? I'm going to come back to this. I want you to hear. When, when you study other languages like Spanish, the noun and the verb are in different places, so the emphasis in another language is different. We're really interpreting this in the English language, so the differences are missing. The focus is not on submit. No, submit is significant. The focus is on as you, um, as you do to the Lord. That's the focus. I'm going to explain that more. Stay with me. The focus is what as you do to the Lord. You can't do what you do to the Lord without submitting. Okay? Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't clap because you get me happy. Then I start sweating, moving, and stinking. Okay? 
Now, I can preach up a storm. I said, oh, baby, see how it goes. Oh, baby, we were rocking and rolling. I preached salvation, working out. I'm sweating. I'm ready. Can I have a hug, baby? I don't think so. Don't have me talking about my mama because you're messing with me. Let me share one other thing. I'm going to come back. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, we could focus on the head. Stay with me, everybody. Stay with me. I'm teaching you the word. Teaching the word. Stay with me. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What is the emphasis there? The husband or Christ? It's Christ. Whoa, man, y'all can be students. How many of y'all have your degrees? We're working. Come on, walk with me. It's about Christ. Because of our insecurities, we get caught up on the wrong thing. We get caught up on the wrong thing. And men, because we were raised inappropriately how to value women, we think head means I dominate you. I push you around. I can lift more weights than you. Yeah, and you look uglier too. What does it have to do with the price is right? It has nothing to do with scripture. It has nothing to do with scripture. Stay with me, please. The grammatical emphasis in verse 22 is not submit. Based on our cultural norms in the gender war, we make what is a mountain a molehill, and what is a molehill a mountain. The molehill in verse 22 is the word submit. The mountain in the word, verse 22, is the word as you do to the Lord. When Jesus <coughs> is on the stage, every character in the play is in the background. When Jesus is on the scene, every object, everything, every place, every person shifts from the front to the back. For the center stage is the stage, part of the stage that belongs to Jesus. The problem is we want to put Jesus in the background as we talk about following Jesus. We're really following ourselves in the name of Jesus. I don't care how much education you have. Listen, don't be impressed with some of the most ignorant people I know have PhDs. Don't be impressed with people. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Don't be. They may be good at something, but very terrible in others. You ever had dinner by somebody who have a PhD? If you do, bring your alpha seltzer. See, all of us have a specialty, and the problem is we value specialty that God didn't give you. Value what God has given you. That's your, if, if PhD is important to you, that's your PhD. Raising your children is important to you, that's your PhD. But whatever is your gift, God has given you that gift. Are you with me? Stop looking at others. You are gift yourself. You cannot make something from nothing, but you can make nothing into something through Jesus Christ. And the most basic of expositional expressions, that's breaking down scripture. This text postulates that, understand, woman of God, your most extraordinary devotion, commitment, desire, love, and faith is quite evident in your submission to God. Now, I want you to be real clear. Woman, the scripture is saying being submissive to God and live that out with your husband. That's what that text is saying. Your submission is to God and you live that out with your husband. Or if you're single, I think we get caught. This is a marriage verse, so I want to say if you're single, your submission is God and you live that out with family and friends. Same context. Are you with me? 
When people cheat on relation in relationship, whether in their mind or in their heart or physically, they're submitting to the flesh. I don't care how much your mouth talks about God. They're submitting to the flesh. And the problem with broken relationships is that we really just submit to ourselves. That's what we're fighting about. Because I want to be in power. I don't want anybody controlling me. I don't I want God controlling me. I'm not worried about what other people think. I want God to control. See, when God controls you, it doesn't matter what he or she says. It's that, well, all that matters is that you're being faithful to God. And the more insecure you are, the less you have the ability to be faithful, no matter how many words you use of faithfulness. It's about God. It's about God. The premise of the, um, of the proposition is no different than forgiveness. Let me explain very quickly. Same preposition. This woman right here, turn around so you can see. You look at this face? It looked like that face that can tell me to get out of her face, right? I'm good with that. Now, <laughs> listen, I guarantee you, I guarantee you at midnight tonight, she's going to wake up laughing because she's just going to catch it. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. If she's and angry and she even fussed me out, my need to forgive her is not to be back in relationship with her. She may stab me in the back. My need to forgive her is not to trust her. Now, let me tell you something. You, can I be honest with you? Can I be honest with you? You think if I'm in the kitchen cooking, she comes behind me and stab me in the back of the knife, the next time we're in the kitchen, I'm going to turn my back to her? I don't think so. But... I'm going to forgive her. Let me explain. Let me explain. Forgiveness is not about having the same relationship we had yesterday. Even if you have a good time with somebody, your relationship changed. You have a bad time with your relationship is going to change. You need to stop trying to talk about we want to be back where we were. That's yesterday. You can't go back to yesterday. Every relationship situation you have should mature. We have the difference. I learned from my difference. I've been married 39 years. I want you to know I made a lot of mistakes. I know y'all can't believe that. That face looks so innocent. I'm good with that. I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from those mistakes. You hear what I'm saying? I could have spent all my time talking to my wife how much she's wrong. I'm the counselor here. I know better. Nope, nope. Even when I'm wrong, baby, I'm sorry. Let's get back. You know why forgiveness is about? It's not about being right with my wife. It's about being right with God. I can't be right with God being angry with my wife. I can't be right with God talking about what's going on. I can't be right with God. Come on, talk to me now. I want to be right with God. Nah. I w you hear me? She said, you better be glad my man's not here. He better be glad he's not here. Come on. <laughs> Y'all a mess. <laughs> See, he probably be happy I turned around. He probably think, I know she was turning around talking about me. <laughs> Do y'all feel love? Amen. Amen. Can I finish? finish? All right, come on. Amen. I want you to know I felt resistant. I'm glad I can lift 75 pounds. I was, you know, I had to twist that head. I, <laughs> but I want you to hear me. Forgiveness is not about them. 
Forgiveness is about you and your relationship with God. Can I go on? That's the type of stuff where I, I read, I want to look in the mirror and say, thank you, Jesus. So understand submission is a little more than working out your salvation. See, because women, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I talk to you for a minute? Hey, men, I'm going to use some language. I'm just playing, okay, men? Okay, you okay with me, men? Okay, women, listen. When that knucklehead act a fool, oh, man, I feel so ghetto. I can't, I, can't say, I can't say that in college. I can say that. When he act a fool, what you want to do is fight. Don't do that. When he's acting up, you submit up to Jesus Christ. See, don't let anybody take you out of your zone because then when they do, you're listening to the wrong tone. You got to go back to Jesus, girl. Submit to Jesus. And you got to tell yourself, tell yourself. <laughs> I was in the counseling session because I taught a couple this one time. And she said, Dr. Abbey, I said, yes, Mrs. Abbey. She said, I want you to know when we had that blow up, I said Jesus at least a hundred times. <laughs> you know what I said? 101. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so it wasn't hard. I wanted to slap her. I wanted to get up. She was hurting. Hear me. She was hurt. I just want you to hear me. I don't do politics. She was hurting. I understand the pain. Men, you understand the pain. They hurting. Somebody, I'm going to get to men in a minute. Men, this is what headship about. I'm the head of my house. You know what that means? When my wife is ready to slap me, when she's arguing, when she's ready to fight, I'm listening. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not trying to point out how her grammar is wrong, what she said incorrectly. I'm not trying to point out how bad she is. I'm not trying to point out. And we can, men and women, y'all go in the pot all the way back to when Jesus was on the cross and bring all that garbage forward. Men and women do it. I'm just listening. See, because the head of the house to have the high responsibility to be submissive in the house. Once you hear me, the head of the house has the higher responsibility, and that's spiritual and scholarly. Let me finish, because I know y'all quiet. Y'all ready? I'm going home. Don't worry about it. Verse 25, the husband. Let me get to the husbands. Woman, sit back. Let me talk to my man. For the husband is the head of, head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is Savior. That's scripture. That's what somebody told me not to read. The Bible says that. I'm going to read it, but you need to understand it. Here we go again, making mountains out of molehills and molehills in the mountain. Head is simply a molehill in the mountain. A molehill is something little down here. A mountain is like 20 stories high. You can't even see the molehill. Head, the word head in this context. Is nothing but a molehill. Christ is the head of the church. Now, does our text tell us men here are to submit? No. I want you to say, hear me, hear me, hear me, stay with me. Are men to submit? It, the word submit is not used. Stay with me. It does not tell us that. Then what does the depth of the meaning of the word head mean in this text? This text is that men are to be the head. And the headship in this context is multiplied submission. Let me explain. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. I'm going to close out. I think I gave them to you in the outline. 
Headship is submission, submissive servanthood magnified. I'm going to give you eight examples of what headship looked like. Now, see, we can't define headship by culture. That's what we do when we read scripture. You have to define the word in scripture by the activities in scripture, even if you don't know the language at the time. So, I'm going to give you an example. Y'all with me? I think it's in your outline. Just, I'm going to do real snap. We're going to close out. Here's examples. In Mar- now, when we talk about headship, we got to look how Jesus lived. What did he do? How did he relate to people? Because Jesus modeled headship, not culture. Jesus models headship. Mark 10, 25. The Son of Man did not come to serve, to, um, uh, to be served, but to what? To serve. That's headship. That's headship. Culturally, it's wrong. Biblically, it's right. Nobody works harder on this marriage than me in my house. My wife, they, she comes from a background where they didn't speak, I love you. You know what love you meant in the Mennonite culture? It was works. Whatever you work. It wasn't talking about I love you. It wasn't, it wasn't hugging. My wife come out of that culture. I come out of culture, we about spit on each other. Oh, how you doing? I can guarantee you if I preach again, she would not sit in the front pew. I guarantee you that. And you better not move today. <laughs> hey, I, I want I want y'all to know, y'all, y'all can't see this. Her fist went like that. <laughs> she will not sit in the front pew. Are y'all with me? Can we finish out? Okay, let's finish out. Are we still okay? Can I have a hug? Now, let me say this. Can I get serious for a minute? Men, you need to know, if we were alone, I would have never done that. Matter of fact, anybody would tell you, if you're in the building and I come in, it's not another person, I'm leaving. I'm never alone with women. That would be out of order, what I just did, if her and I were alone in here. Are you with me? Of all the differences my wife and I ever had, it never was about women. I have showed my wife from the beginning, I'm a man in integrity. Don't be alone. And any woman who says something to me outside of counseling and therapy, my wife hears about it. I don't want anybody to tell my wife I said something to another woman that she didn't know. And my wife, she, I don't want to hear, I'm good. <laughs> We've been 39 years, homie. Hey, hey, sweetheart, that sound black. You white. What you up to? What's up with that? Ask my wife. Get out of my marriage. <laughs> I love that woman. Y'all know I love my wife? I'm serious. I would die for that woman. See, that's headship. Luke, Jesus heals 10 lepers. Only one came back to say thank you. Many of us, if people don't come back to say thank you, we don't want to talk to them anymore. We're not doing that anymore. I work so hard. I, get, get, I cook. They have a funeral on Friday. I cooked all that food, and nobody said thank you. Blah, 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 blah. That's headship. That man, headship is not about man. Who takes the leadership to serve? And let me tell you, when you serve, there are going to be times people never thank you. And that's your response is going to tell you who you serve, for them or for Jesus. Come on, come on. 
And I have a question. I want to know why it's only this side clapping. Can we do that? Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's okay. <laughs> now, I want your side to know I appreciate you, but in the hood we call you wannabes. You okay? Stay with me. In John 13, 12, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he did something only slaves do. He got undressed. He kept his undergarments, but his outer garments. Only slaves did that. Only slaves got on their knees to wash. When you would come into the house now, this is not theological, this is culturally true. When you come into the house, the slave job was to wash your feet, wipe your feet, and then you came in the house. That's what Jesus did that when he baptized. Men, do you still want to be heads of the house? I hope so. I hope so. Every now and come in, or even your parents, friend, they're not Christian. Just rub their feet. See, I can't do that. If I touch my wife's feet, <laughs> sound like a ghost is in my house. She's sort of laughing and stuff, but she, she gets real tickled. But but you hear what I'm saying? The point is serving here. This is headship. Let me get a few more scriptures. See. Um, in Mark 10, uh, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me share this real quickly. Early in um, my ministry as a therapist, I had a couple come to me, and um, the man was saying, <laughs> you know he was from the hood, man, Dr. Abiata, yeah, John, I would die for my wife. I'd take a bullet for, you know, shared all these things about he would do but guess what? The, one of the things that they had the biggest tension over, whether the toilet seat was up or down, and not washing dishes. Come on, help me out with that. That was a serious issue for them. He didn't understand headship. His understanding of headship was from the culture, not from scripture. Headship is serving God. Same thing with men. Our call is to serve God and live that out with our spouse, live that out with our family, live that out. It's just like when you do something you expect. Let me say this as a therapist. I am not here to be a therapist. I'm going to be a pastor. When you do something for somebody and they don't respond the way you want to, you did it for the wrong reason. See, you did it. What you did was about you, not the person you said that you were trying to help. Can I still come back? You know, I appreciate one honest voice. <laughs> Check it out. Those are my nine lepers. <laughs> but, but you hear me? I'm serious. I'm serious. When you were bothered that nobody recognized you, you did it for the wrong reason. Luke 22, 26. And I'm about to close. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you uh, should be like the youngest and the one who rules should be the one that do what? Serves. The one who rules, serves. I remember when I first started pastoring, I had my first three churches were mad at me. You know what they were mad at me about? Because they were used to, when they had dinner, the pastor always ate first. I learned that the pastor is the shepherd. I understood that the shepherd always feeds the sheep before they ate. I don't care how much I explain. See, they were culturally orientated that you lift up the pastor as if the pastor was a little god. I don't, if we ate here after church, I would be the last one to eat. Just, it's my orientation, my calling. It's my headship. Last one, and I'm done. Luke 18, 14. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be what? See, when you exalt yourself, you're going to fall. When you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And let me say this. Stay with me. When you are exalted, nobody else will need to know. When you are on your deathbed, nobody's going to know what's in your mind. Nobody knows what you It's just you and God. You should act like you're on your deathbed right now. Nobody needs to know what you know, what you feel, but God. Nobody needs to know what you're doing is for God, but you're just living out with them. They don't need to know. The moment somebody else needs to know, or you feel somebody needs to know, the therapist is talking to you. That's your brokenness. That's your brokenness. I'm not coming back for a couple of months, so I'm good. I, I want to close with you. I want to close with you. I need you to hear my heart. Like myself, many of you have been told lies. Maybe not like me, in little ways that people remind you. There are some people always remind you when you mess up. Someone will always remind you when you do something wrong. Someone will always remind you different times when you measure up. Here's the problem with that. We listen to them much more deeply than we listen to the voice of God. And so we have need for people to see us do things. We have a need for people to affirm us. We have a need for people to tell us that, that we're okay. And I learned early in ministry that the person have the tools to build your pedestal, have the tools to do what? Take it down. And we're still depending on other people's tools to make us feel okay. I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. I want you to be clear. My wife died today. I'm not getting married tomorrow. And then my plans is not to get married at all. That's my plan. Now, that's true. I don't know. That's my plan. I love that woman that much. I don't think about anybody else. But I love her because of the result of my relationship with God, not her. Not her. It's not about my wife. It's about God living that out with someone else. It's about God living that out with others, even your children. There's some of us who love our children more than God. If one of our children died, we wouldn't be in church anymore. That's a sign you love your children more than God and your child is God to you. Pray about it. Pray about it. All this is working out your salvation. Working out your salvation. Are y'all with me? Is this a dance? Oh, okay. I'm working out. See, now only the men, see the men saying, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Women say, go ahead, Pastor, go ahead. <laughs> I want to pray. Can I pray with y'all? Let me say thank you for your, your time, your attention. Thank you for your love of your pastor. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my brokenness with you because I don't mind sharing my brokenness because that's where God works to bring wholeness. I'll be praying for you. I want you to pray for me. I want to ask a favor. Can I ask you a favor? I'm going to ask you to come up to the altar and pray with me. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to ask everybody, if you don't mind coming up, if you have a problem walking, stay where you are. I'm just going to be short, and I'm going to ask, where, where did Mrs. Keys? Oh, I'm going to ask her to sing softly the song that we opened. That's okay? I just want to pray with you. Let me say this before I pray. Are you all with me? <clears throat> Okay, okay. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> All 
why. I want to, I, I want to pray with you. Let me tell you why I want to pray with you. Honestly, you mean a lot to me. You mean a lot to me because you love your pastor. You mean a lot to me because I share your brokenness. You mean a lot to me because we are in this together. When you fall, I fall. When you succeed, I succeed. When you love your pastor, I feel love. I do this by anything for your pastor. I did tell him. I said, Pastor, I want you to know I love you. He said, I know, Dr. Abbey. I know, shut up. Listen, I want you to know I love you. But if you fell out today, if your wife is not here and you need mouth to mouth, I'll see you in heaven, homie. I'm saying that in front of his wife, and I say it again. I love him. I love his wife. I love you. And I want you to hear this. Hear me seriously. A lot of us say that we love ourselves, and we really don't. I want you to hear me. God, God does love you. He sent his only begotten son. And you know how I know he loves you? I don't know. I got three daughters. And I used to tell my congregations, I love all of you. But I want you to know if somebody came in here today with a gun and said, Pastor, what's up? You got a choice. What's that? I either kill the whole congregation or I'm taking your daughters out. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to pray. You're about to meet your maker. I'm serious, too. Y'all laughing. I'm serious. I love my daughter. Why am I telling you that? Because Jesus chose for Satan to shoot his son so his congregation can live. Ow! That feels good. James Brown. That feels good. Come on with me. Come on. Come on. Let's pray. Let's pray.